Good morning. I'm curious, have you ever lost something? Have you ever lost something? Maybe your keys, your cell phone, your mind. <laughs> have you ever lost something? What, what was something that you lost? Think about it. Think about something that was of great worth, something of great significance to you that you lost. Remember that moment, remember that time, connect with the emotions, the anxiety, the worry, the fear that ran through your mind in that moment of great loss. Think about that emotion. Then what, what happened when you found it? When you found that, that thing that was so valuable, your cell phone, you called it, it was on vibrate, you finally found it, it was buried in that little crack in your car, right, that everything gets lost in there. Uh, what was your emotion when you found that thing of great value, your car keys, maybe it was a, a pet, I don't know what it was. This morning, I want to just share with you a story uh, about myself in a time of great loss. See, uh, I have this like uncanny ability to lose my wallet. And it's always on me. It's never that it's stolen, but I just can't ever seem to like keep it with me. So a while back, I had this like genius idea. I thought, I know, I'll just keep my wallet in my car. That way it's always with me. Wherever I go, I drive, and I'll have my wallet with me. Well, some of you are like, Eric, that's really actually dumb. You shouldn't do that, right? Um, what about people that are going to break in your car? Now, I can't do that because I just told you, and some of you are going to try and break in my car and steal my wallet. It's going to happen. Okay. Here's what happened in this story. This is years ago before uh, Bethany and I were even married. I had left my wallet in my car. We were dating. Bethany lived uh, on Long Island up in New York. We were dating long distance. And I had not yet made the trip up there to uh, meet all of her family, to, to meet her friends, to go to church. Um, and so this was the first weekend where I was going to go and meet all of these people. Well, I bought a, a bus ticket. Uh, actually, I was taking the train out of Baltimore, um, and I, I packed up all my stuff. I was excited for the weekend. Brenda Rhoda, who's on staff here, was going to drive me to Baltimore and drop me off at the train station. We left in a rush because I forgot and didn't do the math what time it would, we would need to leave to get there. And so we're hurrying. That's a whole other story that's crazy. Um, but we, we got to the train station. She drops me off. Brenda's like, see ya. Good luck. Don't screw this up. And off she drives. And I go to check my wallet to pull out my ID. I had my ticket printed, but I didn't have any identification. So I'm calling Brenda like, is my wallet in your car by chance? Like, where did I leave it? I can't figure it out. I'm panicking, I'm looking through my bag. As I'm looking through my bag, believe it or not, I found my passport. <laughs> I don't have my wallet, I don't have any money, I don't have a credit card, I'm going to meet Bethany and all of her friends, and I'm thinking, like, I'm panicking. I'm like, they're going to all think that I purposely didn't bring my wallet so that she would have to pay for everything. I'm still making up for that weekend. <laughs> it was crazy. I, I didn't fully figure it out until I got back, and I realized my wallet was in my car the whole time. I texted Bethany when I got on the bus. I said, hey, I uh, made it on the bus Luckily, but I forgot my wallet, and she wrote back, ha-ha, very funny, good try. You're just trying to get out of pain for things this weekend. 
True story, the very next time I went back to New York, I took the bus instead of the train and I made sure that I had my wallet and I took extra money to make up for the time before. And yet, when I got off the bus in downtown New York City, I went to put my wallet, I like, I like held it in my hand the whole time. I'm getting off the bus, I went to put it in my back pocket like I always do, and I apparently put it between my pants and the seat and not actually in my pocket. The moment that I realized we were walking through downtown New York and somebody like bumped me and I was like, oh, that guy just stole my wallet. And I was like panicked. I like reached and it wasn't there. And it finally took me a minute to realize like, no, <laughs> that guy didn't steal my wallet. I just forgot it again and left it on the bus. So praise God, we found it. It was on the bus. All of the money was still there. And I don't dance, but I danced a jig when I found my wallet and all the money was still there. What about you? What have you lost and what's your emotion when you find it? Do you rejoice? This morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. We are continuing our series on the parables and looking at the idea of, of these parables. What is the truth that Jesus is communicating in these short stories? A parable, the word literally means to, to put one thing next to another, to compare in a way. Think parallel. All right, so in Luke chapter 15, if you don't have a Bible this morning, uh, go ahead and put your arm up, your hand up, and we will get you one, uh, or you can follow along on your device, on the Bible. Uh, I would encourage you this morning to go ahead and open Luke chapter 15. There's a couple just things I want to share about this chapter. Many of you probably know these uh, parables, and you're familiar with them, but I want us to just look at God's word as we begin and prepare ourselves to read and hear from the Lord this morning. There's a couple things uh, that I think you should know before we dive in and read this text. The first one is that uh, in chapter 15, there are three parables that Jesus gives. You might look at the heading, uh, the passages, and, and the breakdown of how uh, our English Bible has broken this out. And you might see the heading, the parable of the lost sheep, or the parable of the lost coin, or the parable of the prodigal son, is what it says in my Bible. And you see these three separate parables. Oftentimes, uh, authors, commentators, as they write about these three parables, they break them up. They talk about the implied truth and meaning of the parable of the lost sheep, and then the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the lost son. I want to argue with you today that it's both three in one and, not or, one in three. Okay? There's great debate over is this three in one or one in three? Is it one parable with the same meaning in three different ones? Is it three in one? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. And here's why it is three parables in one chapter, but it's also three parables with one meaning. These are not three repetitions, but they all declare the same main truth, and they're just revealed in three different phases or variations. Think about it as being one parable with three pictures. The pattern that you see in all three of these parables is this, lost, found, rejoice. It's quite simple. We could bottom line it at that, lost, found, rejoice. That's what Jesus is trying to get across here. 
Before we read the passage, I want us to just look at verses one and two to understand who Jesus' audience is here. Who is he speaking to? Who is he talking to? Who's in the crowd? Yes, we're reading this and have the honor and privilege many years later to to read God's word and to ask him to speak to us, but the, the context of this parable that he's teaching is given to us. In verse one of Luke chapter 15, it says this, now the tax collectors and the sinners, they're all pressing in, they're all drawing near to him. That's being Jesus. And then it says in verse two, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. It's almost like the, the, the tax collectors and the sinners are like coming close. They're, they're gathering around Jesus. They've come near to him. And on the outskirts of this crowd are the Pharisees and the scribes. And they're standing like with their arms crossed, like back against the wall, toe tapping. Like you can, you can just read the disdain dripping from the page of like this man hangs out with these people and he even eats with like... That's the context here. So it says then in verse three that Jesus went on to tell them these parables. First and foremost, we've got to understand who these people are who have gathered around whom Jesus is talking to. The first, tax collectors. In this culture, tax collectors are worse than what you might know of tax collectors to be in our culture today. Tax collectors in this culture are, are more than what we might know about them, having that they took money from people to pay the tax or that they maybe charged people more than what the tax actually was. Or even some of us might know that the tax collectors would often pocket money for themselves and pad their own wallets in in such a way. But here's the the reality, and I had to do some digging, some searching on this, is that um, in this day and age, the, the Roman Empire was so vast, so large, that they absolutely, crucially needed the tax collectors to go out and collect money to pay for the army, to pay for the Roman army so that they could enforce the laws of the government of this day and age. Now you might think, oh great, they had an army that served to protect and and keep the people safe. No, wrong. This army was notorious for being like a bunch of bandits, thieves, robbers, murderers. So it's like doubly bad that when the tax collectors show up to take your hard-earned money to pay for the Roman army so that they could continue to steal and be evil. Tax collectors were just despised they were so looked down upon and then this you see this word sinners now the tax collectors and sinners are all drawing near to Jesus this is not in context that we might know the word sinner today where we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God as as scripture teaches us this is more of a a clarification it's a class of people, It's a, a social status, just like when the disciples asked Jesus about the man born blind, who sinned, this man or his parents, they're labeling that person and his parents as sinners. It's a, a group, it's a, a category of people that you would get put into, a classification. Then you have the Pharisees, these onlookers. The, the Pharisees, they're like major league Christians. They are the professionals. They are the ones who, who like blow us, you and me, out of the water. 
You see, Pharisees, to even be considered to be a part of a Pharisee, you had to have the whole Torah memorized. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. For some of us, we've not even finished reading those passages because we get through like the middle of Leviticus and we're like, ugh, give me some James or <laughs> we turn to the New Testament and read something else. These guys had, had not only those first five books of the Bible memorized, but they also knew the letter of the law in order to apply the more than 600 laws to their life. They were so measured so calculated. The word Pharisee even comes from a Hebrew word meaning separated, like better than, totally set apart. They observed the very letter of the law. The scribes then are people who, who it was their business to study the law, to transcribe it, and then ultimately to write a commentary about the law so that like the common folk could understand it. Scribes were often pulled in for like legal matters to help understand and interpret the law in order to help with um, a difficult situation and where the law would need to be applied. All right, don't miss this. The bottom line in this entire chapter through these three parables, the one meaning, the, the different pictures, the bottom line is this. Look, the heart of the Father the heart of a father God is seen, it's revealed, and it's full of grace and truth. So with all of that being said, let's dive in. Let's read this. Luke chapter 15, we'll start in verse 3. It says, so he, Jesus, told them, these people, these four categories of people, uh, he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have just found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, Jesus says, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Here we see lost, found, rejoice. That pattern, lost, found, rejoice. The key emphasis here is in verse seven. Jesus says, just so I tell you the truth, there will be more joy in heaven over the one sinner who repents. I like how the New Living Translation puts it. It says it this way. Jesus says there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. There's some symbolism here. There's some connections that I'd like us to make. Think back to that moment of something you lost that was of significant value and the emotional connection to that. Here we see this sheep is lost. Think about it. The sheep being a living animal, it likely knew that it was lost, it was separated, maybe it had the vague idea that it was in need of care of the shepherd and to be in, in the companionship of the flock. But because of its curiosity, maybe it's following its scent or its stomach and it smelled something or it's looking for something to eat and it just, out of curiosity, wanders off. It finds itself innocently lost. And the shepherd sought after 
this sheep as if it had been the only one he had. The other 99 sheep at this point, they were left behind as if they didn't matter. The shepherd with much pain and self-sacrifice, he goes to seek this helpless wandering sheep. Let's keep reading that the other parable, the second picture that Jesus gives is the parable of the lost coin. Look at verse eight. He says, or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, hey, rejoice with me for I found the coin that I had lost Just so, Jesus says, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The connection here, the the symbolism, the coin is lost. It didn't leave, it didn't wander, it just happened to fall out of the pocket or the purse of this woman. It's an inanimate object. It's not living, breathing. It doesn't understand that it's lost or missing. The condition causes it no emotion for itself, only grief for the person who possessed it. Now this woman says, being in her her state of poverty, she knows the value of this coin. And for her, it's significant. You couldn't reason with her saying, hey, good news, you still have nine coins left. No, she went in search of the one turning over tables, shining light in dark places, probably getting down on her hands and knees, looking, searching, it says, diligently. The woman carefully searched for this senseless coin because it's lost. Then in verse 11, Jesus continues his story. He says, and he, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of of property that is coming to me. And so the father, he divided his property between his two sons. Now look, you've got to understand that in this culture, for a son to say to his living father, please give me the inheritance. I'm sure it wasn't in that in that context, I, I doubt he said, please, give me the inheritance that I have coming to me is literally to say, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me what's mine. The heart of this son is, is not good. Have you ever told somebody that you almost like wish that you, you hate them or that, that you wish they were dead? I can remember a time in my life, I was uh, a high school teenager, and, and my dad at the time was a loving father, and, and you know, it dealt with his past, and, and I remember we were walking into church one Sunday, and I'd asked my dad that morning if I could go play football with my friends. That was what I really enjoyed doing on Sunday afternoons, and my friends are walking with me through the parking lot, and they said, hey, Eric, are you coming to play football today with us? And I said, no, and we're like walking up to the church building between all the cars. I said, no, I can't. My dad told me I'm not allowed. He's so dumb. And I'm not kidding you. Like as, I, as we were walking between the row of cars and I looked over and said, my dad's so dumb. Like behind my friend who I'm looking at is my dad walking parallel with us. And he heard me say that. Oops. Big whoops. <laughs> the look of, of shame and hurt that came over him, I, I will never forget Later that Sunday, I drew from the family, and, and, and my mom was like, Eric, you gotta go talk to your dad. You really messed up. 
that hurt his feelings. He heard you say that. I'm like, I know. I went and talked to him. My dad explained to me, said, Eric, do you understand why I told you you couldn't play football today? I said, no, I I don't get it. Why? And he goes, because I was looking forward to spending time with you. Now, that's a, a sad story, but it's nothing compared to what this son has done. You see, the father didn't have to give him his inheritance, but in his grace, he allows him to have what he wants. And he allows him to, to face the consequences of that. Let's look what happens in the story. Verse 13, it says, Not many days, days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and, and took a, a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But verse 17, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The father has given the son what he wanted and he goes out and he loses everything. All of his father's wealth, he is gone. And he comes to this this moment of of understanding, like even if my dad would just hire me on as one of his servants, that would be better than where I'm at now. I'm curious, how many of you high school students or adults, when you were in high school, you had that moment where you were out like way past curfew and you knew that your parents, you were still at that age where like they were going to be waiting up for you when you got home, sitting in the like living room with just the one light bulb like hanging, like looking at their watch, tapping their toe with their arm, like that's coming. You know, when you get home, you're going to have to have a conversation. So you start practicing your explanation. But see, we were at my friend's house and then they wanted to do this and that's what this son is doing. He's like practicing his explanation, his his come home speech. And, And as he gets home, it says verse 20, and as he arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupts him. He he doesn't let him finish his speech. He says to his servants, quickly bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and, and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Can you get a picture of what this would be like? First of all, the father, at the likely age in which he is at, the fact that he even could see a long way off was ridiculous. But then the fact that he ran is probably even more disgraceful. Picture like your grandpa, like running. running to his son 
whom he loves, whom he's been waiting for. And he celebrates. Some symbolism and connection here. The, the son is lost deliberately, willfully, consciously. And the loss of, of a loved one is far worse than any sheep or pet or object. No matter what the value The person is worth more. It's a a haunting, traumatic experience to have lost someone. Maybe you parents have known that feeling when you're at the grocery store or the mall and your your child wanders off and they go missing. The the sheer panic and terror that runs through your mind. And then when you hear your name called over the loudspeaker, you're either terrified like, oh my goodness, what happened? Or shock and awe like relief, like yes, they're found. The emotions that run through these moments. The prodigal was guilty of inexcusable waywardness and wickedness that surely wounded and grieved his father's heart. And yet, his father is waiting. You could have told the the father, just like the woman with the nine other coins or the man who had 99 other sheep, like, hey, you got more. You could have told this father, but you still have a son who's, who's home and he doesn't seem to want to leave. There's no consoling the father because his heart goes out to the one missing in spite of his willfulness and wickedness. Ultimately, the father receives him back. He, he welcomes his wandering son And it costs him to be reconciled with his son. It costs him his pride, his dignity. It costs him even more wealth. They for sure had confetti cannons that were being fired off and it didn't matter the noise. They for sure had music as we can see here. So much so that like the the neighbors were calling the police. Like you gotta go check out this house because it is rambunctious over there. The son is approaching the house. He's not even there yet and it says he could hear the bass. He could hear the music but look at what it says. He could also hear the dancing. What? It's not tap dancing. They're not wearing like metal shoes in the barn. Like, they're da- it's a wild party. What do you think this older son is starting to think in this moment? He's been home. Let's look at what it says. He calls out, verse 26, to one of the, the servants and asks, What do these things mean? And they said to him, The servant said, Your, your brother has come home. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older brother was angry and he refused to go inside. His father came out and entreated him. Look at the heart of the father. There's love. There's grace both in giving him his inheritance, letting him leave and face the consequences of his decisions, but there's also this love and grace to accept him back in, to throw this party, to celebrate. But he also loves and shows grace to his older son because he leaves the party. He leaves the the, the celebration to go out and to console his other son. Look at what this conversation looks like. He He answered his father, look, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never 
gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And look at the father's response. Verse 31, the father says to him, son. He calls him son. He he speaks, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is now found. Look, this story is scandalous. It's crazy. The love that is lavished on these two sons. Yes, the, the prodigal son who had left, but also on the older brother, the other son, whom the heart of the father we see truth and grace. He speaks truth to his son in a painful, difficult moment. And he shows him grace. He entreats him. He begs and implores him to come in, to celebrate, to rejoice the invitation to be a part of the party. It's as if the son didn't eat dinner and he gave him dessert. It's crazy. The older brother, his heart is hard. The younger brother, his heart was hard. But the older brother, his heart is now hardened towards the father, so much so that he won't even go in and have a conversation with his father, the one whom he needs to talk to. He goes and badmouths dad to the servants or really to anyone who's listening at the point. When your heart is hardened towards God, you don't understand your identity and you certainly don't understand the rejoicing, the celebration, the victory that is there Because the reality is, while the family's inside partying, celebrating, rejoicing with choice cuts of of meat, the son's outside redefining the definition of being connected to this family. And he says, you didn't even give me a young goat. Like, goat? Really? Ugh. (laughs) Look at the heart of the father. He loves his sons. My closing question for you is, who do you identify most in the story with? What person do you connect with the most in the story as we we look at these parables with one meaning and three pictures? Are you like the Pharisee, a scribe, a sinner, tax collector, Maybe it's none of those. Maybe you're like the lost sheep who innocently is just out of curiosity wandered away. Maybe you feel like that lost coin just wondering if anybody's gonna come looking for you. Maybe you're like the prodigal where you decidedly strayed and wandered in wickedness. Or maybe you're self-righteous like the older brother. Who do you identify with most? And yet, don't miss the Father's heart. Don't miss the way he speaks truth. Look at the connection even between these three pictures that we have. As I was reading and studying this this week, I I honestly had never seen this before. In in the story of the lost sheep, where where the sheep has gone astray and the shepherd goes out looking, The, the shepherd climbs a mountain or goes through thorns and thickets and probably 
has self-inflicted wounds by, by looking for this sheep. You can see the person of Jesus being exemplified, modeled as an example in that story of the shepherd sacrificing. It even says that, that when the shepherd found the sheep, he, he laid it on his shoulders rejoicing. Isaiah tells us that, that our, our sins, the weight of our sins is laid on his shoulders and that even by his wounds we are healed. The picture of Jesus, the parable of the lost coin and the woman, this object is lost. What does the woman do? She lights a lamp and shines it in the darkness, looking. It, it's, it's almost as if it's a picture that Jesus is giving of, of, of the, the Holy Spirit and the role that the Holy Spirit plays to shine light in the darkness of our lives, to come looking for us, to bring great conviction of sin, to point towards God. And then in the story of the prodigal son that we get to see this, this wandered, wayward son and the heart of the father, we see our father God. You see all three parts of the Trinity beautifully exemplified and played out in these three parables. I've never seen that before. It's beautiful to think about how Jesus is communicating the importance of each and every piece and how he portrays the heart of the father. I'm gonna invite the praise team to come on up and we're gonna sing a, a closing song. The song is called Reckless Love and I wanna just read you uh, uh, some of the words from the bridge. You've, you're probably familiar with this song. It's on the radio. We've sang it here before. Uh, but the bridge says this, no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up coming after me. No wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down coming after me. It doesn't matter who you identify with in the story most. The truth is, if you've lived long enough, you probably identify with several of these people. And yet the truth is that the Father's heart is one of great love. He speaks truth. And he shows ridiculous grace. Scandalous grace. Giving us what we don't deserve not giving what we do deserve. His mercy, the Father's heart, he loves you. If you don't marvel at the fact that God is on the horizon waiting for you to come back because he loves you, then you need to ask the Holy Spirit to shine that light and to do some work in your heart. And when you do, I fully believe that you'll run to the Father instead of running from him. It's those who don't understand the gospel who run from him and they go to clean themselves up rather than running towards him as fast as they can. Look, maybe you've stumbled and, and fallen and you're in need of, of the Father this morning. Would you just tell him that? Wherever you are, would you just communicate to God, thank him for his grace, for his love, for how he speaks truth to you in those moments of wandering how he found you and rescued you. And would you just celebrate the goodness of God? Around the room will be some people who would love nothing more than to pray with you wherever you're at to encourage you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. God, thank you for this 
incredible story that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that you love us, that you desire to be in right relationship with us, God, that you, you made a way to overcome our sin through sending your son, Jesus, to take the place that we deserve, to pay the price that we should have paid. God, we deserve hell, and you've invited us into the party to be your sons and daughters. God, you speak truth to us. You call us by our name. The scandalous grace of this story is that we see in the heart of the Father not one of legalism or license, but you invite us in. given us your righteousness you've clothed us you've met our needs God we're grateful we pray these things in your holy and precious name so what about you do you see the father's heart don't miss it regardless of how you came into this room this morning you're invited to the party of a place in the celebration in the family of God. And the more you understand the grace of God, the more you understand the gift of forgiveness, the more you understand and receive the mercy that he offers you, then I promise you the more you will run to him rather than running from him. Would you be willing this morning to just press into him and I promise that you will be changed and transformed because of spending time with him and look the, the father had these two sons they're both different they're both unique they both have their own struggles and yet he loved them both he, he showed them grace and he invited them both in and while they're both different the reality is whether you're more like the prodigal or you're more like the older brother, the heart of the Father is that you become more like Him. To leave behind these other attributes and focuses and hard hearts, but to have the heart of the Father, one of love, grace, and truth. It's my hope and prayer that this week as you spend time with your Heavenly Father, that you would know His nearness, that you would truly be changed and transformed because of spending time with him i trust you're gonna have an incredible week go and be blessed we'll see you next sunday